Hi, welcome to the Morning Talk Show. Today is my conversation with David J. David J. is um, a pillar of the asexual community um, and also involved in a, an organization called the Center for Humane Technology. Uh, so he's a fascinating guy. Um, and as if you've watched the show uh, or listened to the show uh, at all, you'll know that I'm interested in um, having discussions about sexuality and um, kind of how how we might have it wrong as a society and and who falls through the cracks and so uh, David would be fascinating if that were the only thing we talked about he's also raising a child with uh, two other people and so in, in a lot of ways he's he's um, shining light on on other ways that uh, that life can be lived um, and is lived uh, but then he's also part of this Center for Humane Technology, and they're the organization that made the movie The Social Dilemma, which is kind of a documentary that really got a lot of people thinking about their interactions with social media. So in this conversation, I think we did actually weave, managed to weave together um, those two parts of his life um, and and kind of paint a picture of of what makes him tick. It was a really enjoyable conversation and it became very clear that he is a person who does what he does out of love and care for people and really wanting people to feel um, the types of connections that will that will impact them and make them feel a part of society as a whole and, and, and just and just um, just help people. So uh, I enjoyed the conversation. I think you will too. Please, if you're on YouTube, like and subscribe, hit the bell so that you can find out about more of these kinds of conversations. And if you're on an audio podcast, please subscribe. It would help me out a lot. Um, thank you very much. And I hope you enjoy the conversation with David J. Like the actual lack of sleep after a year of my daughter not sleeping well. Mm -hmm. uh, the act, I realized that the actual lack of sleep while it was bad, the real thing was at about like eight o'clock at night when you started to get worried about whether she would sleep. And then in the morning when you'd wake up and she wasn't awake yet and it was six o'clock and you didn't know if she was going to wake up, you know, and then like the mind games that if you could get past the mind games, the lack of sleep wasn't nearly as bad. I don't know if you found that. <clears throat> yeah. And this is also where the three parent thing helps a lot because there's sort of, there's a shift almost like we'll rotate who's yeah. um, on baby duty. And so, uh, well, you know, you'll know, I'll know I get sleep sometimes. Like when she was little, we would split the night mm -hmm. when she was waking up two or three times. And so I know I could sleep for half the night and then I'd have her for the other half of the night. Wow. And, uh, and here we have a weekly meeting where we divide up. Um, and so I'm on certain mornings. Yeah. Okay. That's amazing. Uh, and, and, and I, I'm aware that you're in a three parent situation, but I, I haven't, uh, done a deep dive into what that's what that's like uh, I, but I guess that's that's kind of a topic that would be great to get to after a little bit of a um, a little bit of setting the setting the stage because uh, um, what I typically do at the beginning of a podcast is to um, kind of express uh, express why why I wanted to talk to you and then and and then have you give if if you're willing a quick kind of rundown of uh, of your uh, well, just who you are and, and that kind of thing. So I'm, th this is, this is pretty, um, what's the word? I'm very bad at capitalizing on like things that might actually, um, be a good, uh, marketing handle because you're, mm -hmm. you were involved in that movie, the social dilemma. Like I, I, or you're involved in like, yes. In, 
Yeah, I, you, I am, but but not in a way that's related at all to this topic. Right. Exactly. Um, just, so, just in my professional life. Yeah, and so that this, I mean, this conversation. Uh, it, it, you know, I, I wasn't, my interest in talking to you, I loved that movie, but uh, my interest in talking to you was about the, 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 uh, the fact that you are a, an asexual, an activist and a sort of, or whatever that would be like a, a person who um, exposes the world to the concept of asexuality. And that was mm -hmm. what really fascinated me um, quite a while ago before that movie came out. Um, and the, the reason was like, I, I, I kind of got kicked in the face once with the concept of it because I was with a group of friends and I said, um, oh man, wouldn't it be, sorry, this is gonna sound so ignorant to you. Wouldn't it be a relief to be asexual? Like just to be asexual because man, it just complicates, like sex, sexuality complicates life, horniness. I'm thinking back to being in junior high and just being just ragingly horny all the time. And then, and then even still a, a lesser version of that to, to this day as a 40 year old man makes me feel like I'm in junior high again. But one of my friends head snapped around and she was like, no, it's awful. Like, uh, or, or it can be awful. Um, and, um, and she kind of went into it a bit and she didn't say if she's asexual or not, I do not know. But I was like, oh crap, yes, this is a, this is a thing. And man, would that be complicated? So I, I, I'm, I love that you're um, uh, being open about it and, and discussing it and, and, and kind of normalizing it in the public space. So um, I guess with that, could, could you give a, a, a brief kind of um, bio of yourself or, or describe your, like, describe your, your work in asexuality briefly? Sure. Um, so I started identifying as asexual when I was maybe 13 or 14. And I had known for a long time that uh, I, I wasn't experiencing what the people around me were experiencing. And I just sort of assumed because it was in the classes in my school, it was in the culture around me, that sexuality was the thing I was going to start desiring. Um, and all I knew at first was that I, I wasn't feeling this thing that everyone around me was feeling, that everyone expected me to feel. And that was really, really scary. Um, I assumed there was something wrong with me. I assumed that I was broken. I think because we live in a society that kind of Velcros together the concepts of sexuality and intimacy, I had this fear that like intimacy was a thing I either I didn't want or wasn't capable of. Mm. And I think I pretty, really, pretty quickly realized that the first wasn't true, that I... Um, had and still have a very strong drive for intimacy and a strong drive to connect with people. When you were describing sort of the, the frustration of like dealing with horniness, like the way I experience um, a, a desire for intimacy in my life, um, and sometimes a desire for physical touch, even if it's not sex, like so it is maybe not too dissimilar from that. Mm. Um, where I'll wake, you know, even having a fantastic family, I could be like, oh man, I, I really wish I had like this kind of relationship um, yeah. around. And, uh, and so I, um, I spent a lot of time really struggling with the sense that there was something wrong with me and that I was broken. And it was only because I was fortunate enough to go to a high school in St. Louis, Missouri, that um, was really open and accepting about queerness, mm. that the notion that I was different that my sexuality was different was was framed as something that didn't have to be a problem mm. and i uh began to think of it as a sexual orientation mm. as something that's like being straight or gay or anything else that's not necessarily a problem it's just it just means that i'm approaching the um 
my kind of my journey of intimacy is different. My journey of relationships is different, yeah. but it, it's not that it doesn't exist. And yeah. so when I was 18, my, my first year of undergrad, I created a website for people like me who identify as asexual, really, because I never talked to anyone else like me. I just wanted to find other people. And what I found wow. was um, people at first in sort of a slow trickle, and then more and more people started showing up, that I'd gone through this entire journey of struggling with the idea that I was broken um, and, becoming, and, and coming to accept myself and kind of creating this word asexual out of thin air to describe my experience, turns out thousands and thousands of other people have been going through a parallel experience in isolation. Wow. And um, I put my website up right as Google was becoming into wide, coming into widespread usage. And so uh, when you type the word asexual into Google, pretty soon my website was the top result. Okay. And that meant that uh, the Asexual Visibility and Education Network, AVEN, or asexuality.org, became kind of the central gathering point for the community mm. and the first point where people came together. Uh, and as they came together there, um, you know, I, I had a very narrow definite, you know, my own version of asexual experience. Mm. Um, and I started realizing that there were all of these other different ways to experience asexuality. Mm. Um, I, I would now identify as asexual and aromantic, meaning I have a strong drive for intimacy and connection, but I don't really get crushes on people. I don't really have a desire to date people and form intense romantic bonds. Mm. Other asexual people really, really do. So there mm. began to be this discussion of pan-romantic asexual people, homo-romantic asexual people, bi and heteromantic asexual people, and oh. aromantic asexual people. Okay. There were some people who would show up and say, you know what, I identify with this community, but I still have some desire for sexuality. Okay. So they started describing themselves as gray, like in the gray area. Okay, yeah. Gray asexual. Yeah. Some people showed up and said, I've, I identify as asexual, but I found that sometimes only when I've been in a relationship for a really long time, um, I start desiring sexuality. So they just started oh. describing themselves as demisexual, where they said, I can't go on a first date and know if okay. I'm sexually attracted to someone. It doesn't work yeah. that way for me. Yeah. But I, sometimes, not always, it's a thing that I want to incorporate when a relationship gets further on. Yeah. Wow. So we, there, there became this entire kind of diversity of experience within yeah. the community and um, we started using the word ace rather than asexual to describe all the people under that umbrella. Okay, yeah, that's cool. That's punchy. I like it. So, uh, I think I think this is what one of the things that's really interesting about this is there's this there's a lot of um, thought about language and how language can can be freeing and can be also constricting, right? And so you were in your like you, you identified as asexual. And you kind of pulled that term just to just to describe yourself, just to have a, a bucket to be in kind of thing and to move from there and then uh th then there were there's this kind of whole rainbow within that and and so I, i'm just kind of interested in like you know because because it I, i'm wondering if, if you've experienced any kind of like of, of people like taking these terms and almost like trying to make them into uh harder categories than they should be. You know what I mean? Like now that there's a new word and now that there's new language developing, are there, is there dogmatism within the, that, that has to be kind of resisted or, or is it kind of by the nature of the community, like pretty open? So th there's, there is, I'd say it's both pretty open and there's continual tension around that point. 
Mm. Um, in the early days of the ace community, so I, I created this website, asexuality.org, and there was um, another community that was a, a Yahoo group mm. called the Haven for the Human Amoeba. Oh. People were coming together and talking. It was like one, an old school email list, right? So it's, it's, it's single threaded email. There were like 18 people on it and it's, it was slowly growing. And on that list, there were a bunch of people showing up and there was sort of this sense that we weren't the only ones, that there was a broader community of asexual people out there. And so there was a lot of discussion about how, how to talk about that community. And one of the points of tension that came up is that there were people who really wanted a hard definition. They said, we need to be clear. We need to understand what asexuality is. They mm. would put up these websites where there was a quiz. There was like a, a list of questions and you had to answer every question. Oh boy. Um, in a particular way in order to qualify as asexual. And then if, if, if that was true, then oh. you could email them and like, I don't know, get your badge or something. Oh. Um, but they, but they really, really wanted to gatekeep. Yeah. And I came from, um, at that point I was hanging out in kind of a, the, the queer community in undergrad yeah. and really came to believe that identity is a tool and not a label. Mm. So the, the point of a word like asexual is for me to understand myself and me to communicate yeah. myself to other people. And so by definition, it should be different for everyone. Mm. There shouldn't be like, there could be, we have a, a definition on the even website that's sort of like, it's almost like a flag that a whole camp of people gather around. But the point is not for everyone to live at the flagpole. The point right. is for people to sort of find their own spot that describes right. them. Yeah. And if the, if the, if the word makes sense, if the word asexual makes sense, great, use it. If it doesn't make sense, like tweak it, make up a new word, yeah. um, which is how we got gray A and demisexual. Right. If it makes sense and then it stops making sense, then stop using it. Right. The whole point is to be true to yourself, not to be true to a definition. Right. Um, and I, and I think that that's, that's been a central value of our community for a long time. Yeah. And I think a really, really critical one. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think it, it also points to the idea. I mean, this, this is my personal uh, feeling, but I, I feel like um, words, uh, when they really describe someone, a word can, or like when they, when they help someone to start describing themselves or just a, a concept that has been kind of crying out in their mind, it's like a spiritual thing where the word is just like a, the word is just like an object that's there and there's a light shining from behind it. And, and that's what you're really that's what you're really seeking. You know, you're seeking what that you're seeking yourself. And the word just gives you this point where all of a sudden, boom, now you're branching out into your, into yourself and you might even leave the word behind, but the, it was a, it was a tool. So mm -hmm. um, that's really interesting. And I can't, I can't imagine how, how uh, alienating it would be to be that person who filled out the quiz and didn't get the, didn't get the designation, <laughs> right. right? Like, Oh, that would just be, so bad. Just, I could just, just sitting alone in their room, like this picture, this whole cinematic picture pl plays out in my mind, sitting alone in their dark room, thinking they're about to find their community. And it says, we're sorry, you're not an asexual. Please find a different website. And just like, oh. <laughs> well, exactly. Would, and oh. and you know, I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about what's, what's that experience of finding identity? What's the power of finding identity, finding that word, finding people like you? And like, you never have clarity in that moment. When you show up because there's an experience that you're trying to articulate and you're not certain if it's a problem and you're not certain if it's good and you're not certain, like you have these moments of, you sort of have these moments of like, aha, that might be me, but very rarely do people have certainty around it. Right. And so being able to create a space where people can come and say, 
look, I don't have certainty. I just want to be able to tell my story to someone who might understand it and then have have them reflect that story back. Yeah, that is so important and so critical. And I think, unfortunately, increasingly rare on the Internet that there are places where people can be that vulnerable. Yeah, you're describing a phenomena that I have have actually felt in, in, in a different way in that I, I came up in a conservative Christian uh, culture. And, mm. uh, and the funny thing was you talk about, you know, people don't actually have certainty. Well, um, I, I found that, especially in, in, the, in the arena of faith, people would have, um, people would take on a, a persona of certainty as a way to um, engage, you know, I mean, and it's a totally relatable thing. It's not even, I'm not judging it, but you're in a, you're in a culture where you think that this one identity point is your key to intimate relationships. And so you, you without even knowing it, you take on a certainty that, it, and then the problem with, um, you know, I, I love the way that you're describing the, your view of the asexual community because it's so healthy because I've experienced uh, a culture that feeds into your false certainty about who you are. Mm. And, and nobody ever would, would ever want to say, people are very, very motivated not to say, hey, you know, uh, no judgment, but I'm not sure if you actually believe this or that, you know, like, let's, let's talk about that. And I wonder if mm -hmm. you've experienced that where you've had to kind of take someone aside and be like, you're, you know, like, just be who you are. You've taken on this mantle of asexual and it's not quite fitting you right. Or has that been something you've experienced? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that because I, I, I've never, I never feel like I've seen another person's sexuality better, they, better than they can see it themselves. Sure. But I, I've, I've been in conversations with people where they say, they say, look, I've been a member of this community and suddenly I'm in this relationship or suddenly I'm in this situation and I'm feeling things about sexuality. What do I do with that? And I've been like, great, that's amazing. You've, you found a new, um, you found a new version of yourself and like you are continued, you, you, uh, you are welcome as a valued member of our community for as long as you want to be. And it's really important for you to explore this with um to to explore this and if possible to talk about it so that other aces who are following your path know how to do it too and the yeah. the challenge for those people is um is often and i think i've experienced small versions of this myself if if you're moving from a thing that like like aceness that is is queer to a thing that's seen as normative how mm. do you not get sucked into the script mm of that. How do you, so for, uh, for ACE people who are, and I think I've experienced this in small ways in the, in the ways that I've, I've, I wouldn't say I have not experienced a lot of sexual attraction, but I have, uh, experienced and experienced with sexuality. Mm. It's a, in, so in, in as my, for many as people, it's fit into my relationship sometimes. And mm. when that's happened, there's this tension of, okay, here, here's this thing I want to experience. Uh, I don't want to experience it in, in, in a normative way. I don't want to experience in the way that my culture and everyone around me tells me to experience it. Yeah. So I have to come up with a way to experience the normative thing that's still true to myself. Mm. That doesn't get right. me caught up in the script of what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. And I think that's the, that's the, um, that's the, the tension is in, in your, in your example, if there's someone who's 
say, questioning faith, how do they not then feel like, okay, I have to completely jump out of this identity and completely into some other oh, yes. script of who I'm supposed to be that's that's based on what the outside culture tells me? Yeah. Yeah. How can I how can I stay in this community? How can I stay accepted? How can I stay grounded in all the knowledge I have yeah. of, who I, of who I am and um, and, and live in some in-between place? Yeah. And, and, and from my experience, that is what I ended up doing. But it's so exhausting, which I think you can mm -hmm. probably relate to. And, and, and I feel I feel like there's certain personalities who just don't. It's not life giving for them to pick apart, to untangle the mass of, you know, uh, of, of stuff uh, and and sort of find their new place in, uh, you know, in a different zone of, of sexuality and, and or or in my a different zone of faith. Like it's not like it's not life giving for some people to. Uh, do, have you found that like have you found people who are like, oh, man, I need to make this this I've, I've made a shift, you know, like my my inner being or whatever my my inner motivations and stuff have shown me that this shift is, is happening. And yet I just don't have the energy in my life to, to, to go through with it. Does that like, do you ever see that? Or am I just like, it's, it, it's, it can be very I think, draining. I think I, I've seen that. And I've, I've felt versions of that in my own life mm. where I've kind of been like, I, I think my identity, not around my sexuality, but on other parts of my identity. Mm. Um, I've sort of said, you know, I think, I think that that I'm realizing something about myself that <clears throat> uh, that isn't fully articulated, and you take the time to to really think this through. But like, I just have a lot going on right now. Like, maybe I'll maybe I'll put that part of my that part of my self exploration on the back burner for a few yeah. months. Right. Um, yeah. I, I've definitely been there. You can't make that that exploration. You can't make that the always the most important thing. If it's if it's going to drain you more to do it than to not do it, you can kind of. Yep put it on hold, I guess. But mm -hmm. then I'm just so, uh, I'm just so impressed with this, uh, this idea of a, of an open community, um, where, where people are allowed to, to change and still be accepted as part of the community. I, that is, I mean, that's something that I think, I think as a society, we're all very bad at, um, uh, really truly feeling the, uh, the beauty of alternate alternate perspectives and and really kind of um, truly being open to to diversity you know like it, it's it, like it's really hard yeah I just I just find that like I, I'm in this I'm in the script you know I, I've, I've I've been in the kind of uh, heteronormative romantic script for for uh, 40 years. And I mean, my way of kind of branching out is uh, I'm fortunate to have a podcast. And so I get to talk to Buck Angel and I get to talk to you and I get to sort of think about these things. Um, but it, it, it takes, uh, I mean, it takes a certain amount of frustration, I think, to, um, to want to change the script and, and to, to realize that reality is so much more than we have, have called it, you know, because people take comfort you know, people take comfort from their categories, you know, and, 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 and they, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of ranting now, but uh, I, this is just this, this whole asexuality thing uh, is one of those examples, like you've expressed that you've had to think through uh, a lot of these things in a very practical way. You've kind of had to get your, I almost, I almost think of it as like a soldier getting on their uniform and picking what tools they need and, 
uh, you know, and, and, and choosing where they're going to go and, and all of that, which is why I think it's uh, people like you uh, who not only are, are really thinking these things through, but are willing to, um, to put yourself out in the world and talk about a subject. I mean, probably, in, probably now feels endless for you that you've talked about this, this subject over and over. So, and it's such a, it's such a kind service to humanity, what, what, you're, what you're doing with that. Well, well, thank you. And, and if anything, I'm trying to I'm trying to do that less because I think mean, I've I've gotten up and I've told this story many many times, um, and uh, if anything, my version of the story is over-indexed right now. Mm-hmm. So you know the the way that aceness shows up is really different for um, for everyone based on the expectations of sexuality that are put on their body. So for me as an able-bodied, relatively like financially well-off, conventionally attractive white dude in the U.S. Great hair. Um, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> my, my my pandemic look. Um, like I I get a really different set of expectations than many other folks in the community, than um, folks from traditional Muslim communities, than folks who are disabled, than folks who are uh, non-binary. Or trans, where people interpret, people expect of their sexuality and therefore interpret their aceness really, really differently. Mm. Um, and uh, I think there's many times where it's easy for me to get seen as valid that in a mm. way that folks who are ace and also struggling with mental health issues or um, ace and who have other forms of intersection still really struggle with validity. So. Right. Or with with being with having their identity being seen as valid, and so I think it becomes really really important, especially um, uh, in in the larger press, to have those stories being articulated. Um, mm. And uh, and we've been working on doing that. That's part of why I've been excited that Yasmin yeah. Benoit has been doing a lot of work recently. Um, okay. Who's a black woman who's a really powerful advocate mm. in our community. Awesome. Uh, well, yeah, and I I, I would like to. I, I would like to help with that as well. And I, I, I mean, I, I'm, I don't want to be hypocritical because I'm, I, came, I came to you because you were, you know, you were one of the first things that came up when I was trying to, uh, to research asexuality and, and, and you were well-spoken and I was like, oh man, this guy, will, this guy will have great insights for me. But yeah, it's, it, it, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, you, we've really got to, um, I, 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 hope I, can, I hope I can somehow help out uh, with that, you know, anybody listening to this uh, should go. What, what's the website that they can go to to get more? Um... Uh, a good website to go to is asexuality.org. That's the yeah. one that I founded, and that's yeah. still really. Active. Yeah, I've been there. Um, okay, and that's the one. And are there other ones as well? Or that's are there Facebook groups? Are there things that people can do? So there are Facebook and meetup groups. There, um, uh, I would check out if you're looking for resources. The organization Asexual Outreach. Mm. Um, uh, there are local groups in many major cities around the world. We have a really active group that's, uh, in India, if any listeners mm. are coming from there that, um, you can find, um, that you can find on Facebook. Uh, and I think I'll, I'll, I'll a lot of there, there, there's, there's at this point quite a, quite a large world, um, there's a bunch of other really good podcasts that are focused. There are a bunch of good YouTube channels. So 
Awesome. I think ra rather rather than promoting particular ones, I'll right, yeah. I'll just say that there, there's a lot of Ace content out there for okay. people who are looking for it. Yeah, fair enough. And like, I guess, I, and I'm less, I'm not, I'm not so much interested um, in for 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 my podcast to getting into like the necessarily the the nitty gritty um, or like making you rehash everything you've said in the past, but I just feel like there is kind of a there's 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 two kind of levels to something like this there's the superficial level that people probably get uh, not superficial is not the right word but there's the initial level that people get stuck in in the nuts and bolts of how how life is lived for an asexual like what do you do in this situation what do you do in that situation <laughs> and then there's the fact that um that this is just this is this is a community of people who have um <clears throat> the who have been named um, and, and have begun to, to sort out, uh, identity and what that means. Um, and yet it's, it's also, um, if this exists, then there must be hundreds of thousands of other, uh, things, not even necessarily related to sexuality, but just other ways that people don't fit into the script, like kind of this kind of like, uh, of life in general that, that haven't been named yet. And that and that people are suffering because they haven't found um, their their group. And so I I, I like I, I just like to think through these things, and I like for for my viewers to think through these things. And 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 hopefully um, we're working towards a world where the differences, you know, where these kinds of differences are are not even seen as um, I don't know. It's almost like you, you you want a world where these differences don't have to be a new category for people to accept them. I don't know if that makes sense. Like uh, that it's like if somebody came to you and you never heard of asexuality before and they said they were asexual, you would just be like, oh yeah, cool. Okay. Like, and, and, and completely accept that. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm just, I'm kind of ranting now, but. No, and I, I think that, I think that there's versions of that and there are ways in which, um, I might tie this a little bit to the, the professional work I do now. Yeah, that would be there great. Are, there are ways in which the the structure of language, the structure of power in the world, always is going to make some people feel broken. Um, and those people are always going to need to find one another, and they're always going to need to be able to come together to speak their stories. Mm. Um, and, the, you know, asexuality is an issue not just because it's new and different, but because we live in a society that heavily um, associates the concept of sexuality and intimacy. Like I, as a, as a young person, it was so like, I felt like I was broken. I wouldn't have felt like I was broken if I didn't like chocolate in the same way. Right. Even though everyone around me liked chocolate. I wouldn't have felt right. I was broken if I didn't like soccer, even though everyone yeah. around me liked soccer. Right. Um, I felt like I was broken because I received a really strong implicit message that unless I was sexual, I could not form intimate relationships that really mattered. Mm. And, uh, and without those intimate relationships, I could not live a life that was happy, balanced, or fulfilled. Mm. That was, that was the underlying message that I was struggling with that I think as a community, many of us have struggled with and many of us have f written our own stories that disprove that mm -hmm. and talk about how we can be forming really powerful, intentional, intimate relationships that are sort of doing everything that happens in the sexual script from an emotional and intimacy standpoint. Uh, and 
um, I think our, our community identity needed to come together in a way to challenge that assumption. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that challenge is necessarily going to have some friction in it. Mm. Yeah. And, and to your point about there being many other communities, when I, um, when I think about the history and, uh, of, of, of social movements, there's very often that kind of arc of a narrative where there are people who feel ashamed and broken about something who are made to feel ashamed and broken and they come together enough to realize that there's a story that doesn't require them to feel ashamed and broken. Um, that that's, that's a story where they can relate to themselves differently and they can relate to their world differently. And then they, uh, they have the power to make change. Um, and that's, uh, we, well, I won't talk about my professional world, but I see a very parallel thing of, um, playing out within the, um, the landscape of people who build social media or social technology right now. Oh man. Um, yeah. I mean, of, part of what brings me there, but yeah, that's fascinating though. I mean, uh, uh, do you have reasons not to talk about that or, or can you, can, w w would you be willing to go into that parallel or like what's happening there? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just, just briefly. I mean, um, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to leave your listeners scratching their heads with context, but sort of for my day job, I work, for the Center for Humane Technology, which yeah. is a um, organization that was uh, very involved in the, the film, The Social Dilemma that came out on Netflix that I think many people have seen. Mm -hmm. I and see. um, I, my title there is the head of mobilization. So I lead movement building efforts. And um, I went there because in part, I had this experience with the East community where there were a bunch of people who, um, who had an experience they didn't have good language for. And we were able to come together and find a way to describe that experience and then really find ourselves empowered in that and then really begin to push back against a society that said we were invisible, we were impossible, we were destined to be lonely forever mm. and, and prove that that wasn't the case. Mm. And what I've seen within um, social media is there's many, many people who have very complex, very shame ridden relationships with their own technology. Mm. And they are looking for, you know, they, for a very different reason in a very different context, also feel that they're broken in some way. Mm. And they have a desire to come together to understand what a new or healthy relationship might look like within okay. the um, technology ecosystem where we I do a lot of my work. There are a lot of people who built this technology because they had, um, uh, they really had a, a beautiful and altruistic vision of what they wanted to bring to humanity. They wanted to bring connection. They wanted to bring shared understanding. They wanted to bring, um, uh, they wanted to bring uh, collaboration and a way to connect across boundaries of difference. Mm -hmm. And what they saw come out of that, the technology they built was the opposite. So mm -hmm. there are many people who are um, building this technology, who have built this technology, who are in a place of spiritual crisis. Mm. Yeah. Um, that, and I think the documentary shows that yeah. where they're saying, how, how has this thing created something that is so different than what we intended to create? Yeah. And how can we step back and think about how to create something, um, something different, but, wow. but at the, at the, one, one of the things at the core of that, I think both for the technologists and for everyone else are questions of identity the questions of, how do I tell a story to myself about myself 
of who I am, what my agency is, what I want, what I'm capable of. Yeah. How do I tell a story that's not just my phone, like has control over me? Right. <laughs> and yeah. I have to accept that. Yeah. Um, oh, interesting. Uh, oh, interesting. And, um, and so that I, I find I find many lessons from my work in the East community applying in work around transforming technology. Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, so much of people's online behavior is knowingly or unknowingly an attempt to either uncover or dig into uh, their identity in some way. And mm -hmm. algorithms can really um, find a bucket for you to be in. Uh, and, and sometimes that can be a good thing. And sometimes that can be a bad thing, but the addiction, yeah, it really has social media, especially has really shown us our, uh, our dark side and, and in some ways. And, and yeah, that's so interesting. And you talk about spiritual, a lot of those people having, uh, in social me media, having spiritual crises. That's uh, well, there's a lot there. And I, I mean, and this, I know you're talking about context and not wanting to get too off topic of, of asexuality, but my hope for, my hope for this podcast is to, is to unite ideas. Um, and, and often like, I, I actually get nervous. Like when I had a topic as specific as asexuality, uh, for this, uh, which was my original intention that actually makes me more nervous, uh, because I like for things to go in, in natural directions. And you have such expertise and such experience that I'm, I'm interested in that part of your life as well. And one of the things that I feel like kind of maybe ties, um, those two things together is, um, what I would call, uh, psychic messaging uh it's not it's it, i call it that and it's, it's not a great term because it, it i'm not talking about psychic powers necessarily mm -hmm. but you know when you when you talk about the um the 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 things when you talk about a society telling you for example that um as an asexual you're going to be alone and that you're you're different and that you're broken um a lot of, I mean, you can, you can correct me and you can, you can nuance this because, because you've experienced it, but uh, I'm kind of assuming a lot of that wasn't necessarily overt. You know what I mean? Like uh, that if someone was relatively socially adept, then um, they could probably avoid some of the actual persecution. And yet there would still be all of this psychic just this cloud of expectation in the air that no single person in your friend group, no single person in your family would ever feel that they were a part of, you know what I mean? Does that, does that resonate with you? Yeah, definitely. That, that I think that, um, and, and I've had, I've had conversations with, you know, when our community began in 2001, 2002, we started having people in their 60s and their 70s and their 80s showing up. And we've always skewed young because I think dis discussions about identity and sexuality are uh, uh, p younger people are more active in them. But we had people show up who would say, oh, yeah, I've been this way my entire life. Uh, and I never really had a word for it. And I never really had a community for it. But this has been my experience. And often it was that. Often it was, you know, I, I just went along. I formed relationships. Many times I got married in the ways that everyone told me I was supposed to, or I didn't do that. I, I stayed single for my entire life. Um, but because I didn't, I didn't see any option for me to form intimacy that wasn't being single. Like mm. I would now say, you know, I have a family with two aromantic partners. Um, 
that kind of option wasn't available for them. Um, but they would say, and I, I always had this cloud of feeling like I was having an experience that the people around me just couldn't understand. Mm. A feeling I was having to live up to expectations that other yeah. people had. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and there is, there's, there is a, you, you described it as a, as a cloud. I think of it as a, as, as sort of an ongoing cost. Mm. Like, like it's like, it's like the equivalent of, of having a little extra weight on you. Like you're always, you're always having to, to burn a little extra energy mm -hmm. to do the work yeah. of, of, um, of sort of performing across that gap. Right. And ostensibly there are parts of your own potential that are held back. Uh, I would think maybe, I, I don't know if it's, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's true uh, of, a, of asexuals, but I, my, the biggest cognitive dissonance in my life has come from that, that faith situation I mentioned earlier, mm. where there was a, such a great expectation and such a distinct community around me and uh and when there was a particular day that i uh, like that i had a kind of a, a breaking point and and began to explore uh like fairly voraciously everything that i had uh every concept that had been barred mm -hmm. to me and and i just found that i i not immediately but that that uh potentials in myself began to arise when i when i began to go down that path have you like, have you found that in yourself? Like, do you find that your mind that, or like, or others that you've heard of that the mind almost unlocks when that weight and that cost is removed and, and, and you can run, you can, you can run at full speed again. I, I think, I think the, I, I have had experiences about unlocking and I'm trying to think about, uh, I they're, 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 they're not quite for the same reason. I think the, 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 when I felt blocked, especially in my, um, in kind of my adult life, once, once I was really able to become okay with myself and my identity, um, it, it hasn't been by like shame or, or, or the, the need to uphold a false narrative. Mm. It's been because I'm sort of staring at a blank page and I don't know how to fill it. Mm. Like I spent a lot of time saying, okay, I'm not going to form intimacy through the traditional script of sexuality, romance, and dating. Mm. So then how the hell am I going to do it? Mm. Right? Like how, how do I form a relationship yeah. that is deep and committed and serious and emotionally powerful in the way that I want if I'm not going through these 10 steps that everyone else seems to think are the ones you need to go through. Right. Okay. And, and um, I remember a, f a few moments um, often involving like, I would, I would sort of sit with a question and, and grapple with it for months and months and months. And then usually when I was on a dance floor, have some like epiphany <laughs> about the way that relationships work and then, and then be able to, form them differently. Mm. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, being on a dance floor and saying, oh, I, th I think I understand how to do commitment. I think the thing I need to do is, um, uh, I, it, it's this cycle. I need to, I, I spend time with people. I spend time with people that's powerful. Then I 
express how I feel about the time that I've spent with them. And then after we've shared emotion about that time, then we can make commitments about spending more time. Mm. Yeah. And then we spend more time, we express more emotion. And that as I form a relationship, I get better and better at those three things. Like I start out just being able to, to barely express emotion, but then I can sort of baby step that forward and express more and more emotion. I start out just making commitments about, you know, the next time we hang out, but I can baby step that forward and make deeper and deeper commitments. Wow. And I started practicing that in my relationships um, and saying, okay, there, there's a moment for expressing emotion. It's after we've experienced something powerful together. There's a moment for discussing commitment. It is after we have express shared emotion mm. and um my relationship started really behaving differently from that point on mm. where before they had they had felt like friendships in that they um you know pe i would i would have really powerful experiences with people but there was there wasn't a there wasn't a structure of commitment around it if they started dating someone they would just kind of disappear for a while and, and that was yeah considered yeah. okay um and all of a sudden i had relationships where we really talked about the relationship as a relationship mm. and we talked about it with the seriousness that people were talking about the romantic yeah. relationships with even if we weren't following a um even if we weren't following a traditional script mm. and that ability to kind of bring intentionality into my relationships was really really transformative well and Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So how often was that with someone who doesn't, didn't identify as asexual? Like, uh, has that happened where um, these, these intentional committed relationships you're talking about, the, the other person was not asexual or has that mostly happened within the asexual community where there was that shared experience? Oh, I, I'd say that the majority of the time it's been with people who aren't asexual. So that is amazing. And that is so cool. And the reason it's cool is because, uh, you know, we talk about, uh, we, you talk about the extra cost and, and, and I think of it as a psychic, um, you know, a, a, a sort of almost a fog that makes uh, life a little more difficult. But then when you kind of started to have revelations about yourself and your identity, you started to make a, you started to make a psychic force going in the opposite direction. Do you know what I mean? Like you were project, you projected something out into the, um, the world, including to people who are not asexual that they never would have experienced probably otherwise that, that like, cause, uh, cause as a, um, I, I have struggled with the intentionality of those relationships. You know, I get, get married and I've got some, very close friends that um, are still single and, and, and my success in those relationships has, has been basically varied. You know what I mean? It's not like something that is, I, I'm not, I'm not great at it. You know, if someone's really good at texting and online stuff, then some of those relationships can still feel pretty, pretty valid. And then other people, it's like, no, we don't go for beers anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and so I guess what I'm thinking is what a, what a gift that is that you've taken this perspective that you've kind of had to have, you've kind of had to work this out yourself if you wanted to kind of just, you know, move forward in life. And you've been able to, um, to give this gift to other, other people uh, of thinking through relationships other than their, their romantic relationships and their sexual relationships that kind of, you know, I mean, a, a sexual relationship can have a, just a blindingly distracting effect 
on, mm. on people's lives so that people who may be tender and open-hearted um, may never experience a committed relationship with um, uh, a, a, another person that's that's asexual. I don't know. So this is this isn't really a question. It's just more of it's just more of um, this idea that we can take this. I mean, and the same can be can be true of of, of social media. We can take this thing that has been um, either oppressive or or obscuring in life, and uh, and approach it with intentionality so that it it now shines that you, you kind of become a light in the opposite direction, fighting that, um, I don't even know if it's darkness, but fighting that, that tension. You do, does, that, does that make sense? Yeah, and, and, and I want to I call out a, a way that I've seen that tension show up, um, which is, and, and I've seen this play out in, in some of my relationships with sexual people, allosexual people, is that um, there is, there is uh, something that I think is, is subtle, but is really deeply constraining about the environment of sexuality we live in, which is, I think, I think many people have internalized a narrative that if you are not in a romantic sexual relationships, you are destined to be alone mm. because, because there isn't a good script. There isn't a, isn't a good tool set out there for building intentionality into relationships that aren't sexual. And so there's the sense of like, yeah, you can have friends and that'll be nice, but like, you'll never really be anything like emotionally fulfilled. Yeah. Um, and there's, and there is uh, a, a kind of like, like, I think a really deep mortal fear that some people have deep down that like, unless you can, unless you can play out this script of sexuality, like you are destined to be really, really deeply unhappy and you're sort of a failure as a person. Mm. And, um, and so I think that there is something when you say that, uh, um, when you say that, uh, sorry, I just, <laughs> um, no problem. when you say that people are kind of holding this, this psychological baggage, what I've seen is that oh, when, when you say that people that uh, sexual relationships can be um, really powerful and really overwhelming, I think a part of that is that we imbue them with this sort of unique ability to form emotionally powerful relationships. Mm. That right. if okay, you yeah. say, look, I, I'm, I, I see someone, you know, I, I just awesome see someone and i'm sexually attracted to them and they're sexually attracted to me and we're emotionally compatible and like like it feel that that can feel like this unique and powerful opportunity that's more important than everything else because right. it has more potential than everything else yeah and i've found that when that can happen in the context of people who have who know how to who have and know how to have a lot of really committed intimate non-sexual relationship is like great here's a new relationship that like adds a new flavor to all the great right. relationships i already have but it, it doesn't supersede them yeah because in, it's not fundamentally doing a different thing in theory you you would think that a person in a sexual uh committed romantic relationship could take away a lot of valuable lessons on on that relationship by having deep intimate non-sexual relationships right because I think there's almost a default there where when you're young, you're, you're uh, sort of evolutionarily uh, um, created desire to procreate is, mm -hmm. is very strong. And then you just, it, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to diss 
you know, sort of my own experience, but there, there's like, there's, there's almost a feeling like, well, you know, I'll just kill two birds with one stone. Like I really want to be, you know, sexually intimate and it's just easier <laughs> in a way. It's just easier to try and create, um, the other kinds of intimacy I need within that relationship. Cause I'm there anyway, and I'm totally distracted by that other thing, but it, but, but it, they are two things. Anyway, and there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But no. I think that it's very rare that one relationship can be everything. Right. Like, there, I think everyone needs to know how to form other relationships that complements yeah. their primary relationship or relationships. Yeah. So that you can, you can have this type so that as you grow and change, you've got you've got new relationships to, to grow and change in. Right. Um, uh, that can be supported by your primary relationship, but that may not be the place for that growth, right? So, um, and this this shows up a lot also when I, in, in the work that I've, I've been doing recently around parenting and family, mm. where um, there is, you know, I, I've been through, I think as I've described um, this process of, as I, as I learned how to form these committed non-romantic, non-sexual relationships, um, a really powerful culmination of that is that I've, uh, was invited about five years ago to help two aromantic partners of mine raise a child. Mm. And then now the three of us raise her as equal co-parents. Yeah. And, um, uh, and there's lots to say about that experience, but, yeah. um, it's also led me to help a lot of other families that are trying to figure out how to integrate some form of intentional co-parenting mm -hmm into what they're doing and there's really this this huge chasm in our society between the person who's your romantic se and sexual partner who is the only person you parent with and everyone else who like yeah maybe says that they want to help out and like maybe brings you food when the baby's born right. um but it's we have we have very very relative to i think other societies throughout human history we have very very little room for commitments in the middle right where someone says you know i'm a committed i I'm, I, I love you i've got a committed relationship with you and i'm going to show up once a once every other week or once a month in a committed way mm. to be a part of this child's life right and and i think that our ability to form those sorts of relationships that are, are not full parenting like not not fully committed co-parenting in the way i'm doing necessarily right but that are um, and in, in, intentionally showing up in a child's life in a way that's really right. taken seriously. Yeah. That's the thing that I, I, I really want to help people build the capacity to do. Oh man, that, that's amazing too. Um, and I, I know there are people in my life, uh, you know, who really value our family and our children. And, uh, and, and I mean, that's, that's a fascinating thing. I also wonder if there's not a certain amount of like when, when everything's based around um, sort of, uh, sexual, a sexual relationship, a core sexual relationship, and then also this con the sort of traditional concept of family. I wonder how much uh, of an unhealthy sense of ownership is involved in all of that as well, right? Because uh, you know the, the immediate thing that comes up in my mind when 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 I hear that you are were were asked to uh, about um, raising a child with another with another couple, an asexual or a a romantic couple. I can't remember how you said it. Well, I. I, I, they are a romantic and sexual married couple. I am I am um, in an aromantic relationship with them. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Fair enough. Sorry, I, I misunderstood that. Um, 
that my, my, my immediate thing is, oh, but you wouldn't have any, <laughs> this is terrible, but you wouldn't have any ownership over it over the child, you know what I mean? Like there's almost this biologically predicated sense of ownership that I think is just a default uh, um, that uh, honestly I can immediately see it as having unhealthy, unhealthy expressions, you know what I mean? Like, cause so sometimes you might have a grandma who is partially raising the child and, um, and that's just assumed. And, the, and there's, there is almost a sense of like, uh, well, the child is partially hers anyway because of this kind of biological ownership. Does that make sense? Like, is there, is there an unhealthy ownership that can, that you have to kind of work against when you're, when you're in, consulting with people on these non-traditional family units? Um, there is, there is when people think there is. Right. I don't, I don't think, I don't think that, um, I, the, the, the par parenting is about showing up and kids form relationships with the people who show up not the people who have their dna right that's true and like that that's plain that's that's played out in, in the context of queer people creating families for mm -hmm. a long long time and yeah. so uh you know to tavi my daughter i'm i'm dada zeke um my co uh parent is daddy and avery is mommy mm -hmm. and there is she I don't, I don't think she has a sense of who she's genetically related to and who she's not genetically related right. to throughout her entire life. Like the three of us have all been showing up in an equal, in, in, in ways that are of equal importance. Mm -hmm. And we all have our own style as parents, right? So she has, she has different relationships with all of us, mm -hmm. but there isn't a sense to her that anyone is, is more of a parent than anyone else. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And yeah, and so and so be, because it's it's not a thing for her. Like I don't feel, I don't feel a different relationship with her, mm. than or a different level of relationship with her for that reason. And, and that was that was a thing that I kind of reflected on when entering this process and was like, no, I, th I think that genetics is really important to some people. I don't think it's that important to me. Right. Yeah, and if it were something, if you always had this, uh, this doubt in the in your mind that maybe she wouldn't bond to you, and maybe you wouldn't bond to her because there weren't biological ties that could be really that could be really something that needed to be overcome you know that would be like something that could really kind of wear away at you whereas really you've got two people uh who desire to to have a relationship together you've got a child who you know that doesn't have a complicated way of looking at it they just you know if they if they jump in your lap and give you a hug i mean that's about as simple and wonderful a thing as as you can have and, and yeah so anyway it's it's i think it's great that you don't that that you don't uh that that you haven't been constricted by that that biological um, imperative that seems to be true and i think it, it just like it kind of shows like we're in this era that i'm, I'm constantly trying to analyze constantly trying to understand because i think we're in some kind of an axial age where we kind of need to redefine in a way or, or or come up with a new a new way to be human or a new like i don't know just a new overarching assumption about what human beings are and and on the one hand some people are offended because they think, well, you know, human beings really are something. And, and, and some people are trying to treat it as though we can just be whatever we want. You know what I mean? They get up in arms about that. You can't just be whatever you want. But at the, at the same time, things like your, your story, your life, and your example really show that just a, a shift, just a, a sidestep of perspective um, can show, uh, can, can actually reveal what we are better than 
than we knew before. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just moving deeper into what we are, you know, cause if, if, um, if you're creating relationships with, you know, like sort of parenting relationships with, um, uh, another couple and, and you're creating intentional committed relationships with non-romantic partners and you're, you're assisting with other people, um, to kind of sort out, uh, these, these same kinds of things and kind of come up with arrangements that, that work. You're not, you know, I don't get the sense that you're redefining what a human being is. I, I get the feeling that you're actually like pulling the blinders away, that you're clearing some of the fog and you're allowing people to see, um, to kind of see more who they actually are. And even, even, uh, you know, it sounds like quite a few of the people that you work with aren't even like, you're not trying to convince people they're asexual. You're actually, you're actually changing the lives of, of sort of more conventionally sexual people a lot of times. So, yeah, I mean, I just find that really, really interesting. Um, and I guess, um, sorry, go ahead. And, and, and I think that the, the, the value that I've taken from my work in the in the East community is that uh, it 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 is really important to be able to empower people to give them the tools to understand their own experience, mm. um, and that that can that can question our assumptions about what people are, what human experience is. Yeah, and that's a good thing to have the, those assumptions questioned, and that's that's different than a kind of academic exercise of being. Like pe people describing, create like people describing their own lived experience in ways that challenge our assumptions is different than people being whoever they want. Right. That's, yes. It's it's an expression, not a desire. Right. Yes. And and I think that's that's, that's the the thing the thing to understand. Yeah. That and that's and uh, yeah that that is a wonderful thing to understand, and uh, so. I guess, you know, earlier we were talking about the, um, the social media and, and stuff and, and some of the tie-ins between like your, your experience with one and your experience with the other, and you're, you're the chief of mobilization, you're the head of mobilization, um, because you have this experience with, um, kind of mobilizing this other group, you know, it kind of gave you the, it kind of gave you some of the, some of the cognitive tools. And I wonder in what ways, like maybe has the internet um, actually given some form to um, like, it's almost given a life to um, both the light and the dark in terms of like the, the narratives um, somehow that the narratives that um, maybe would, would keep someone from finding their identity are, are kind of swarming around like locusts on the internet. And then also the narratives that, um, the narratives that liberate people are, are also swarming around on the internet. Uh, does, does that, is that something that you've noticed that, that, that they actually have taken on a life? The internet has actually given these things um, a, a more literal life than they had before. Like in the past, it was just like human being to human being, you know, comments that were made that came off as like, oh, okay, uh, as, as an asexual person, I'm, I'm less than. Um, whereas now there's actually algorithms aiding that and almost making it into a superpower. Is that, is that something that resonates with you? Is it too vague? Let me, let me, let me try to tell two stories. Um, the first story is to, to, to illustrate that point, because I think 
that that the internet is is a constantly shifting place it's shaped by particular business models by particular imperatives um that i think are extremely harmful uh and that i that i see and and hopefully temporary but like let, let's compare the experience of someone coming to uh not not necessarily coming to race identity because i think the people who are exploring ace identity now are you know they have this world of content out there they can find they're people like them and it's really validated and it's great right i i didn't have any of that growing up but like let's let's imagine my experience or the, the experience of someone early on in Aven in 2002 versus now let's say that let's imagine there's a community of people and they have some identity they're struggling to explore they've they've come they, they've independently come up with a way to describe this identity but they're all alone and they're all sort of reaching out right what happened in 2002 is they type into google they wind up in this tiny little form that's contained where the fact that you know the other people in your life can't see it. There's not a huge surveillance apparatus tracking everywhere you go on the internet and correlating it. You just show up there. Your friends and family, you know, aren't immediately aware. And the fact that you showed up means that you were deserving of attention. If you show up and tell your story, someone will hear that story who understands it and they'll respond to you. Mm. Yeah. And kind of everyone gets, you know, if you say more, you you get but like everyone gets pretty similar levels of attention and validation in that mm -hmm. community mm -hmm. um compare that to what happens in something like uh if you're posting on youtube or you're you're in any feed that is off like endlessly scrolling feed that's optimized for engagement yeah um now you show up and you sort of in your feed there's a there's a bunch of things that are scrolling by you mm. And if you see something that, that maybe pings you, that lets you understand your identity a little bit more, um, the, the interface isn't set up for you to stop and think deeply about that thing. It's set up for you to like, give it a like, give it a share and keep scrolling. Yeah. yeah. So you're just constantly getting pinged with stuff that makes you feel a little bit something, yeah. but there's never really a room to go deep into your reflection. Yeah. If you your anger post, can be as much a part of that as anything else. Like something that makes you angry, it will take note of yeah. that as well. Anyway, keep going. Exactly. Um, if, I, if I post a version of my story trying to find other people like me, it's not going to, it's not going to this container where those people are found. It's sort of going out, like it's, it's competing with everything else on the internet mm -hmm. for attention. Yeah. So if I can articulate a version of my story that's a little bit more salacious, a little bit more outrageous, a little bit more something, then yeah. that's going to trend well. If yeah. I articulate a vulnerable story and then someone else attacks me for that in a way that's outrageous and salacious, yeah. that's going to go viral. Uh, yeah. So um, the, the environment in which I'm, I'm asked to be vulnerable is one that like it, it rewards sort of confidence and outrageous and it punishes vulnerability and authenticity. Yeah. Interesting. And, and so it's, it's really, really hard to describe that kind of new identity. Yeah. Wow. Um, it, it, in some ways, the internet's a much worse place now than it used to be. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so that, I think that, that's something that's deeply concerning to me. Yeah. And you almost, you almost wonder if you could get 
the proper ethical and you know uh sort of human centric uh social media you almost wonder if people would find it either scary or boring you know what i mean like because being vulnerable that's something i've started to do very intentionally because I've, I've wanted to redeem my social media presence uh mm -hmm. and, and it, the trump the first trump election i i started to uh, i was like okay i'm probably going to get off facebook because this is fucked um mm -hmm. but then uh then i was like okay no no I started to kind of post uh, whenever I would kind of get this feeling that something was maybe redemptive or encouraging, I would post it. And now there's this sort of group of people who see my post because they've engaged in it, but it's taken a really long time. But the point is that vulnerability on the internet is scary and it does take a certain amount of nuance because you've got to phrase things just so. Um, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm just, uh, I, I yearn for uh, an internet that can be this redemptive uh, force in the world that where, where someone could really, could really um, kind of move into um, something. If they do find something affirming like that, where they're like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. That describes me that, that there would be an outlet for uh, deeper engagement in that. And even some choice as to um, choice as to how this shows up in the future. And maybe like, yeah. So um I don't know how to describe exactly what I'm saying, but like, uh, do, do you have a, do you have a sense of, of how, uh, of some changes, some broad changes that could make the, that could kind of redeem the internet? <laughs> I, I can share an area that I experiment with a lot mm -hmm. where, where I think there's, there's something really interesting, which is um, moving if, if we take things like Twitter and the Facebook news feed and TikTok, like places where you're just sort of bombarded with engaging, exciting things. And we say, okay, th this, is, this is a great place to discover things. It's not a great place to connect with other people or really be present or really like wrap our heads around any particular yeah. idea. The deep dive. Yeah, like like the point of discovering something should be to dive deeply into it, not to just keep discovering new things. Mm -hmm. And so if we say, okay, after we've discovered things, we need a place where people can show up and be fully present. Mm -hmm. We need a way to have conversations where people, where the fact that you've shown up is enough mm -hmm. to let you be heard. Yeah. And uh, I, I see, and you know, I look a lot at how groups work, Facebook groups work. I talk to folks on the Facebook groups team. I look at what's going on with public Slack channels, where which is one of the places where communities like this are, are trying to come together. I think the, the infrastructure we have for hosting these sorts of conversations is still really constrained and there's some, some really mm. interesting new innovation happening there. Mm. But I think, that, I think that there's this missing piece of, okay, I found something that thing excites me for whatever reason. It speaks to my identity. It speaks to my hope. It's it's it speaks to something deeper about me. Um, how do I show up and make a friend? Yeah. About that thing. Right. And uh, and I I think that that that's not a question the internet has answered well. But I think mm. if the internet could answer that. Yeah. And it could be truly transformative. Yeah. How do you overcome the artificiality of of the um sort of the anonymity because yeah message boards can be really toxic places and i i i have they should be great and and probably for some people they work really well but I, whenever i've needed to go to message boards like related to my interests um i think that the, 
the, the type of interaction you get is so much different than if you were face to face with that same person, you know, like yeah. they're, they're, they're that level of removal that the internet creates. I mean, it, it, it makes people, it gives people a false sense of power, but it also just is completely prohibitive to other people and, and, uh, and, and not good for those people who, who it gives a false sense of power to, right. For those people who now feel that, um, you know, I went on, you know, after this or that event happened, and, and, and sorry, no, I don't want to get political. I have no problem with, with people expressing their opinions on the internet, but there are sometimes people who feel that that's what they've done for the world, is they've gone on and they've expressed an angry opinion. And then they can kind of, you know, dust their hands and, 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 and go on with their lives, you know what I mean? And not necessarily do anything interpersonal uh, to, to, to heal the world. Is that, is that, kind of does that describe something about what you're saying so um i also, I also want to check in of course i'm gonna to have to wrap up in about 10 minutes oh okay yeah sorry but uh <clears throat> i'll share um one of the i don't i don't want to i don't want to get too technical here um but i think that one of one of the components that I think about as missing is um, uh, is good verification. So I, in my work, I deal a lot with efforts to combat COVID vaccine misinformation. Mm. COVID vaccine misinformation is, is, you know, there's very, very sophisticated, very well-financed actors who are out to combat necessary public health efforts. And um, one of the things that, uh, that I think about is that there isn't a good way to, for someone, if, if someone is a public health official or a doctor, other than like a blue check mark on Twitter, which is tricky, there isn't a good way for them to prove that they have that credential when they're speaking online. Mm. There isn't a good way for me to take all of Twitter, all of wherever and say, okay, I'm, I'm just gonna look at the slice that is people who are verified medical professionals and see what they're saying about this. Right, yeah, interesting, yeah. Um, and there isn't a good way if I'm a medical professional to see a conversation and say, great, I wanna be in a conversation about this, but I just, I wanna, I wanna access the version of the conversation that's just other medical professionals right okay. now. Interesting. Um, and uh, and th there's pros and cons to having that kind of a, a verification layer, but yeah. um, I think of, the the ability to not necessarily it's not necessarily um de-anonymity because I, I could be talking to an anonymous other medical professional right but um the ability to know th know that i share some experience with the people i'm walking into a room with mm -hmm. yeah that would is be something interesting. the internet is missing yeah and then their critiques if they had a critique if they had an argument with you you know you could Theoretically, it could be something that could really strengthen you, right? Like you could say, all right, okay, I hear that. And I know that that comes from some kind of expertise. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's really cool. Okay, well, I don't wanna, I don't wanna make you uh, max out your time or stress you out or anything. This has been really interesting. And I, I, I really appreciate you speaking to me. Um, I do think that the way, um, the kind of, the way you, the, two, the two parts of your public life interact is, is really fascinating. And, uh, and I just wanna, I just want to applaud 
um, basically, you know, the work you're doing in the world and the, and the revelations that, that you are uh, bringing about in, in, uh, in people and, and, and the things that just the light that you're shining into the world. And um, yeah. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to say to kind of wrap up or have you kind of said what you want to say? Uh, I, I, I think, I think I've said that I want to say it's, it's, it's really great to get to talk to you. Um, I, uh, I think that the, just when you name that intersection, um, one of the really defining experiences of my life has been around this, this quest for intimacy, this, this quest to understand what does it mean when we connect and how do we create better environments that enable people to connect? Like, how do I, how do I foster connection in my own personal life? How do I foster connection in the movements that I've built? Um, how do we build an internet that allows people to foster deeper connections than the ones we've had? And that, uh, that, that question of relationality mm. has, I think, been a really powerful compass for me that, that comes out of my ACE experience, but, mm -hmm. but has, has gone a lot further. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I, I think, I, I think I just, I, I, I don't know if, 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 if I had to weave, <laughs> weave the, the very disparate things I'm, I'm working on together, uh, it would be around that question of how do we build intimacy? Yeah. Wow. How, how do we build intimacy in ways that are not constrained by the assumptions of the past? Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. And it's a, it's a value I share. It's a, I think it's pretty deeply ingrained in my podcast. So uh, thank you so much uh, for that. And, and I just, uh, I hope that everyone listening will, will go and get involved in the things that, you know, get educated on the things that you're involved in. I know that there's some things now that I'm going to be, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, checking out more deeply. Uh, and so, yeah, thanks for a, a thought provoking, fascinating conversation. And, um, and, and to put in a last plug then, um, for folks who are interested in the sort of social media side of this conversation, um, check out humanetech.com. Yes. Yeah. Check out, uh, the social dilemma. If you haven't check out the movie, um, which is, I think, unfortunately been much less, uh, advertised coded bias, which is about, Oh. algorithmic bias and the way that racism shows up in oh. uh it's also very very good um okay. and then every friday uh if you go to humanetech.com i host conversations about different elements of tech reform where people get into small groups and really can form relationships around their shared experience of this um wow and i invite i invite people to come to those thank you very much that's awesome that's all great so um I guess with that, uh, I, I will say uh, uh, so great to meet you and, and, and have a great rest of your day. You too. Take care. Thanks.